I suppose. Really. I suppose so. Yeah, I, I think because you know that way people always say to you, "So how did you start writing?" And I have this very strong memory. And my memories of childhood generally are not that strong. I have this strong memory of a teacher playing us Richard Burton reading Under Milkwood yes. on, a, on a record, <laughs> and just being really, I don't know, excited by it, yeah. really excited by it. Um, and all the images that somehow brought in your mind. And, and then we had to write our own one mm. and just loved that. And I think, I don't know, sometimes, I think there are often these wee vignettes in my work which are actually bits of under milkwood that I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to import. That's interesting. Because some of my earliest memories are, are based on either being read to or early attempts at reading... Um, you know, I don't. My my dad used to be the person who used to read to me, but um, I don't have great memories of playing or you know mm. falling or all of these things that other people seem to do. But that's a real. It's always a really strong memory that you know I'd be sitting there and he. I think one of the first things was the Hobbit, even though it was probably. Oh no, there was a oh, brilliant children's story about a giant who, when he gets to the edge of the wood, he gets smaller, and when he and and this, I can even see the illustrations from it. But there's something about it that really kind of sticks in. To you, to you from from uh, um, from being just told stories. I think sometimes that never kind of goes away. He's absolutely telling stories. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we are uh, ready to go. We, this is the eighth Scotsway Hate podcast, and I'm delighted to say Louise Welsh is here. <laughs> Grinning over I mean, the microphone. I was, I was smiling for the mic. <laughs> <laughs> smiling for the microphone. And um, we're going to do what we normally do, just basically talk about books and stuff. And go through Louise's novels to this point, including talking about a new one as well. Yes. Which is... Um, it's, in, it's in progress, I guess. I've got, the, I've got a text now. I've got... Um, yeah, I've got a, a, what, what I would call a first draft, um, and I'll spend the next few months editing it, um, hopefully with the help of my, my editor and and so forth. So we'll see. Is, is that a funny thing? I just switched my phone off there because I just sent it in, and you're, you're waiting to see what people say when they get it. Are they going to phone and say, very funny, that's really funny. Send us the real one now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a yeah, it's, it's still a work in progress. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I'm fascinated to know what it's like. Yeah, it's um, it's based in Berlin again. It's back in Berlin, mm-hmm. like the bullet trick. Yeah. It's uh, a woman called Jane who has moved to Berlin with her partner Petra. Um, Petra is working in finance. She's high powered, um, and Jane is not really. And Jane is pregnant. Jane begins to think that. Um, next door there's something that is not quite right going on mm-hmm. between um her next door neighbour and his daughter. Um the daughter's about fourteen years old. And I guess the question for, for us is is Jane right or is she um is she just going a wee bit mental? Is there is there gonna be stuff in her past or is um you know the fact that she's pregnant or the fact that she's in a new place um, or is she actually correct? And I guess it's drawing on lots of. Um, I thought a lot, about, a lot about the films of Roman Polanski actually. Not say, yeah. Rosemary's Baby, that's Rosemary's what I was Baby thinking. and um, Repulsion. Mm. Um, although I didn't, I didn't go back and watch them. And I think mm-hmm. this is something that I've done in the past. <coughs> you're you're mm-hmm. remembering 
a film or a book, but you don't go back and read it. You, you work with your, your memories of yes. it. Yes. I think sometimes the memories of it are, if you do go back, you think, oh, that's not how I quite remembered it. And mm. then it kind of affects how you will maybe take it on. Yeah. And also, I guess I guess it's the atmosphere that's moving you mm. as much as the, the themes. Um, and I guess something else I thought about was uh, Henry James's Turn of the Screw mm-hmm. as well. And that, that hesitation, I really like that idea of the hesitation between what's real and what's not real which we feel in our, our own lives often, I think, as yeah. well. And it's a it's a kind of delicious feeling, mm-hmm. too. You know, that kind of... You scare yourself a wee bit. Um, so we'll see how that goes. It's a short book. It's 60,000 words. Right. Um, so. And, I believe, first-time female protagonist? In, in terms of a novel, yeah. yeah. In terms of a novel, it's the, the first time. Um, so I'm kind of interested... Uh, you get to you know this. You get to this point where you're just working in the dark. Really, mm. you, you've got it, and you you don't. There comes to a point where you don't really know enough about it yourself. You don't know, but and that's when you need um, other eyes on it. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see how that works. I was interested. I guess the distance, the distance between um, the character and the reader, I think, is maybe in the beginning a bit, a bit further, and that is always a a risky thing to do. You know, mm-hmm. it's not. It's a third person particular voice right um in some ways i don't know how sympathetic jane is i mean actually for me as a writer you know i don't give a monkeys mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't i don't care how sympathetic it is yeah but then on the other hand it's something that you you, you think otherwise oh it's t- towards this point that you begin to think of the the reviewer's voice or whatever and you just have to push <laughs> all of that away you know this it's it, it, it is what it is, and I'll, I'll when you give it to it. someone, is that when you when you first hand it over to someone else to read? Do you think no, I don't care, but they might care? Is that the kind of switch? Like, I think you, there's things that you shouldn't think about too yeah, much, you know. And, I but imagine. I guess you're I guess you're aware of it. Things uh, distance, I think, is is worth thinking about, mm-hmm. and you want your your reader somehow to to be able to grasp this character and if they're too far away then they can't yeah and um, so that that kind of thing whether they're a nice person or not i think that's maybe a slightly different different it's question yeah. yeah well that's that takes us way back to the cutting room not way back not quite way back <laughs> it's quite a while it's about it 10 years yeah and uh the character of rilke which i there's a character that i'm an absolute standout is a fantastic um person and yes, he, it, it's, I would say it's charismatic. You want to um, read more about him. And yes, you don't care whether you like him or not. There's not that's not there about him. So how did you come up with this um, character? You know, it's, I don't actually know in a way, I guess. Um, and I guess Rilke, in terms of distance, Rilke's here, isn't he? He's yeah. right, he's yeah, very, very close. Absolutely. It's first-person voice. He's right in your, your ear um, and you're forced to, to be with him um, throughout that book. I think it was a, a voice that I'd been working with in short fiction, and short fiction that didn't really go anywhere. <clears throat> um, I think it was a, a voice that needed the the, the, the stretch of a novel, needed right. um, just that wee bit more space. Um, at that point, I mean, that was my first book. At that mm-hmm. point, I had been working oh, for quite a few years in uh, secondhand books, so I knew... The, the, the kind of setting that Rilke moves and I knew auction houses. I went to auction houses several times a week. I knew antique dealers. Mm-hmm. I, I, I knew the kind of pubs where you would you would go and do that kind of dealing that, that Rilke does. Yeah. Um, I knew bookshops, all of that stuff. And I guess maybe the, the voice in a way 
comes partly from that, partly from the city, partly from just the things you, you see and hear around mm-hmm. you. Um, and of course, ultimately it's made up. So it's, it's that strange yeah. thing, isn't it? You're drawing on what you see and then you're, you're making it into something else. It's very, um, it's very dark, obviously. It takes you, it's, it's, it's great if you know Glasgow at all or any city, I think, but there's certain parts of Glasgow that teach you and you think, yeah, I know these places. They're the places I usually turn away from. And I think there's something really nice when someone else takes you to those places and you go, yeah, I've passed that shop. I'm sure if I go in there, I could buy almost anything which is illegal, but, you know, I don't, I, I pass on. Um, it's, a very, it's a very sexy book as well, uh, which was quite unusual. You know, usually um, sex in, in, in Scottish fiction had it was either, it, sometimes it was comedic or everything went wrong, but he was a character who was absolutely rounded. He had desires and you wrote those desires out. Did you ever have any worries that you were thinking, crikey, you know, people are going to... No, I didn't, because it's, it's your first book. You don't yeah. even know that it's going to get published, really, do you? You know, no. it's a, I think there's um, there's a, a, a lot of joy in, in writing the first book. Um, and I guess, you know, Rook is a, a gay man... Um, I think there's a lot of anger in that book as well, yeah. actually. Um, you'll remember that at that point, that was the point of the um, repeal clause 28 yeah. and things. It was the point when we had the um, the referendum from Sutter about mm-hmm. whether we should, you know, he, he, referent, he, he sent a, a, a polling card to every house in Scotland mm-hmm. using his own money to say, you know, do, do you want um, children to be taught about homosexuality yeah. and yeah. so I think there was a, a lot of anger in that book and I guess I guess that anger is, is, is still there mm-hmm. you know you, you, you we know that um the SNP take accept a huge amount of money from um what's it Brian um the from a donor yeah. who, who is um vociferous yeah. in his dislike of, of um Gays, lesbians, yeah, all of these things. So I guess, I guess it's for for me at that point, and still, um, I wanted that to be on the page, Mm -hmm. and and to say, you know what, this is it, and if you don't like it, fine, fine. (laughs) One of my uh, the first ever paper I gave um, was on kind of it was what I called cross gender narrative. So um, I used Alan Warner's more from Collar, about female voice. Um, Ian Banks, Whit, again, female voice, and your own, um, the cutting room, uh, a woman writing a male voice. And it was given in, I didn't really think about who I was giving this paper mm-hmm. to, I just wanted to write this paper. And it was in Spain, it was in Murcia, and went to this little university as part of the thing, and read out a really explicit scene from the cutting room. Mm-hmm. And then I suddenly went, <laughs> oh my good lord, there's a chapel there, <laughs> and if there is a hell, if there is a god, he's going to hit me now. But... Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so I have a real affection for the book oh, that's <laughs> you know, nice. because that's of that. Nice I got, I, to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it, but even again, the, the whole subject on homosexuality wasn't—it's not really addressed in many Scottish novels. I yeah, think. I think Irvin Welsh um, addresses it at points, doesn't he? He does. And, yeah. yeah. I think he's. I think he's great actually on that. Um, um, Zoe Strachan, who's along mm-hmm. the corridor just just now. Um, does again um, in her her uh, new book ever fallen that yeah. is about two two gay men. I think there's um, there, there's stuff out there. There's yeah. there's John Maylie's 
work. Um, I don't know John Mealy's work. Yeah. Um, see, I have this off. We should do. We should add a, <laughs> a website list so we can get. I'll um, put footnotes <laughs> at the bottom. <laughs> That's right, because my memory is so bad. And there is stuff out there. There's stuff out there. Mm. Um, it's. I don't know. Not perhaps you, you have to look at it, or perhaps it just presents itself at points. Um, the other uh, question about the cutting room is, you know, you're, you're talking about science fiction and how it's supposed to be called. Did you say? Oh, speculative fiction. Speculative a, a young fiction. Writer was telling me about a particular brand of sci-fi, which is now speculative fiction. Which, um, which I'm not quite a hundred percent sure of the definition, but I guess imagining, imagining yeah, the, yeah, the future. Um, some people have a placed you in as the people like to do place you in box saying this is crime this is you know detective fiction or whatever how do you feel about that you know I feel really sanguine about it I think it's done me more good than harm mm. really to mm. be honest um, I, I think of myself as being a sort of democratic writer really mm -hmm. um, I, I want anybody to feel able to pick up my books and I think the detective genre is a very egalitarian one. I think yeah. people feel feel empowered mm -hmm. just to to pick that up. Um, I guess I guess I'm happy with it because I don't feel confined by yeah. it. I don't feel that I I now have to write um, one of these three act murders um, or, or anything like that. Um, and I am interested in genre. Mm -hmm. I am interested in. I guess um, maybe I would call it sensation fiction. Yeah. Actually, that maybe that would, um, and, and certainly in the cutting room, I thought I was writing a gothic novel. I was yeah. very interested in gothic at that point, but when I look back at it um, with with you know now <clears> ten <throat> years later, I can see it has a lot of detective conventions mm -hmm. in them, a lot of noir conventions, which are fun and they're, they're partly fun to use because you can confound them. And what I what I don't like about a lot of crime fiction is the way in which they use the female body. Mm. Um, I think that's true of, of stuff on television as yeah, well. You know, yeah. even quite soft crime things like Midsummer Murders, <laughs> you switch on on a Sunday night and uh, you see a, a, a kind of prone, naked, mutilated female form and that is simply there to move the plot along. Yeah. And I guess that's something that I dislike, object to. And so it's it's good for me to write in that genre and to to sometimes confound those um, those expectations, mm -hmm. perhaps, sometimes to play with them. Yeah. I think what's interesting is that people um, often... I mean, there's no doubt there's a kind of literary snobbery that people say, well, that's crime fiction, therefore we're not going to do, deal with it. I mean, I'm thinking about the... Um, texts that you're given to study and very rarely would any genre write about. I mean, I, I wrote on Ian Banks and even then I didn't write on his uh, sci-fi, mm -hmm. uh, partly because it was just too much to do. But um, so perhaps if you're looking to sell, there's a, there seems to be a real pool between selling books and being kind of critically regarded and I don't know whether you care if you're critically regarded or not. Oh, it would be nice wouldn't it? It would be yeah, very we nice. Like, we all like to be patterned back. <laughs> yeah I think I think you do. I think um, I think the key thing is though that you don't have control over that yeah, of course, and ultimately of course. Um, I know there are people that, that write with a specific market in mind um, but for me I feel very strongly you've got to, to write it sounds corny, but I think you do. You have to write what's in your heart. You mm. have to write what's in your head. You have to write those books that you want to write. Um, 
you may then be marketed in a particular yeah. way. Um, that's, again, something that you have a little control over. But ultimately, I think most writers are the same. They want to write the books that they want to write, and they want to be able to do it again. They mm -hmm. want to be able to do it the next time. And that often is where the, the marketing comes in, yeah. because these things enable you then, hopefully, to, to get another advance or whatever it is that enables you to mm -hmm. sit at your desk. Um, so, I mean, there, there is, we have to recognise there's a, a lot of duff books out there in all genres, and that includes the literary genre as well, doesn't it? Um, does it, I don't know, you don't, you don't write thinking, oh, well, this might be discussed in a university somewhere, yeah. you, or this might um, be the new Stieg Larsson. You write kind of trying to get it on the page. I always think <laughs> of the beginning of uh, Manhattan when Woody Allen's sitting there going, you know, it was a you know no no too corny no no we want to sell some <laughs> books here that kind of thing you do yeah um, well to move on from that your the second novel um, Tamburlaine Must Die what couldn't have been more different in that it was set um, around about the time of Marlowe and Shakespeare and all that so what what moved you to do that I think that that was a difficult difficult second album isn't it I think. yeah I was talking to uh, Alan Bissett about this and it, this a similar thing when he wrote Boy Racers he went I just got it all on the page because he wasn't sure if anyone was going to even read it yeah and then he had real writer's block when he came to do um, Adam Spark because he thought well what's but like what we're talking about what's expected of me what what should I be writing and, everything. Mm. and then eventually went back to Falkirk and wrote about something he knew so uh, but you you didn't go back to <laughs> Glasgow and write about something you knew no, I wrote, and I think that's good advice to writers isn't it write about what you know write about what you don't know mm. you know don't don't feel confined Thank, yeah. don't feel um, never feel that the place where you are is not interesting because mm. it is it's yeah. interesting yeah. it's exotic even to some uh, people uh, ah, absolutely. But, um, but never feel that you have to sit in in your box whatever that box is um, I, I was just I was very 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 lucky um, Tamburlaine Must Die is a short novel it's only 40,000 mm -hmm. words a novelette really um, at that point Karen Gate were doing a series on dead writers um, they invited me to write one and I thought first of Stevenson. Stevenson mm -hmm. was gone. Alberto Manguel was writing about Stevenson. And then I thought about Marlowe, um, who was somebody... Oh, since I, was, I shared a flat with some theatre students when I was younger, and that was how I'd learned about Marlowe. Mm -hmm. And this shows the level of my ignorance. I didn't know that everybody else knew about Marlowe <laughs> as well. I didn't know there were these um, Marlowe societies and so forth. And it was a great experience writing that book. Mm. It was a very... It's, um, Probably the most research that I've, or library research that I've done, um, different way of thinking, different decisions to make in terms of language. Do you write it in this um, sort of sixteenth-century language, mm -hmm. or or do you um, do you do what I, what in the end I did, which is more a sort of dialect thing, yeah. which I guess in Scotland we're we're kind of interested in talking about that anyway. Mm -hmm. um, Went to lots of museums, you know, read lots and lots of Marlowe's work. And I guess it's the only time that I've consciously restricted my reading in that way. I only read about the period mm -hmm. or books from the period. Um, and it, it was it was a great, it was a, a good book for me to write. Um, and it was a kind of, again, a lucky book for me. It got, um, it got some, it got a stinking review in The Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> and then it got kind of quite, quite good reviews elsewhere. And it's... Um, 
is one that people will often sort of send you an email about or speak to you about. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so I think it's either, it's one of these books, it's either for you or it's not. I think it's very unexpected. I think um, I bought it after reading The Cutting Rooms. I want to read what Louise does next. And I went, well, the cover, for instance, you know, is a tremendous cover. It's, it, it, to me, it's Joseph Fiennes yeah, almost. It just looks like him, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and you think, well, what was going to go on here? And it's a real page turner. I mean, you know, you really want to see. You, 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 you follow Marlowe through it to say, well, what's going to happen? Who's done this? And um, it, again, it's very gothic. Uh, mm. and, and last year I saw it in the Tron as a play. So were you involved in the... Was um, it last year? I think it was maybe a couple of years couple ago, years ago actually. Was it? Yeah, with Kenny Miller. Um, I, I know Kenny well, and I really admire his work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's, he's a really great director. And uh, my involvement was more or less just saying, yes, please do it. Yeah, that okay. would be brilliant. Um, with, with someone of his expertise, you, you, your involvement is always going to be minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, no, it, was, it, was, it is a fast book. Um, and I guess in terms of tempo... Um, I based it on the 39 steps this idea oh, of a, a chase a yes. race and that, again that makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah and again I didn't go back and read the 39 steps I went back and read it subsequently mm-hmm. and thought god I'd forgotten that it was racist or maybe I hadn't <laughs> noticed you know I'd read it as a as a kid and it had all that had all washed yeah. over me but it's um, like going back to Enid Blyton these days and you go oh son, this is not right <laughs> yeah so that, that somehow hadn't stuck in my memory but the, the pace and the the, yeah. the kind of chase, rich, you know, Hanny running a, a, along the, the ridges and things. Yeah. And I guess in, in terms of structure, Tambaline's a kind of circular book. Oh, um, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, not even from the book, but from the... I recently watched the 39 Steps film, the Hitchcock... Mm, yeah, one. And, uh, I, yeah, I can imagine that, because it does move at a rapid pace. Suddenly, you know, here we are, and we want the next bit. Um, so the next was the Bullet Trek. Now, it's a while since I've read the Bullet Trek, but from what I remember, it, it is based in Glasgow and Berlin, isn't it? It's it kind is, of split between the yeah, two cities. Yeah, it's um, exactly that. It's Glasgow this year, Berlin last year, mm-hmm. and um, William Wilson, who's a conjurer. Looking back on what happened last year, and we know something happened, but we don't, we're not quite sure. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, things are, are happening here. So if, if Tam Berlin was the difficult second album, how did you feel when you, you got to do The Bullet Trick? Which is oh a much longer gosh, book. it is a longer book, isn't it? Um, just different, I guess. And I guess um, if there's a connection between those two books, then it would be performance and it would be the idea of theatre and the stage, mm-hmm. um, which is very present in The Bullet Trick. Um, as I say, William Wilson is a, a conjurer, mm-hmm. a stage conjurer. He goes to Berlin where um, the cabaret scene is still still alive um, and I guess the difficulty of rendering performance on the the page because actually mm-hmm. in a way it's a bit like sex on the page it can be a bit flat you yeah, know you can go yeah, into yeah. too much detail um, it's it can just be a one just a one like life just one thing after the other <laughs> really. um, so yeah I, I enjoyed writing that book um, I guess in a strange way um Maybe part of the key again is is family, which I think comes into the the book that followed that, mm-hmm. and the relationship between William and his mother, who isn't in the book a lot, but she is there, and there are a couple of moments when you can just you feel that yeah. connection and that um, impossibility of helping someone mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I look I look back fondly on that book, and I I wonder. 
you know, when we were talking earlier about the cutting room and uh, my interest in, in women's bodies and mm -hmm. the way that they're portrayed uh, in fiction and detective fiction, in the, in the bullet trick, I kind of go back to that. And I, I mean, I haven't read it either for mm. a long time, mm. so and I, I don't intend on doing so, strangely. But uh, I think there, there's a fine line. I was trying to walk a fine line there, and I'm not sure whether I stayed on the right side oh, of it or not. Yeah. It's what I remember quite clearly from it is the sense of what you're doing. I think all uh, your uh, writing is you manage to get a clear sense of place. I could almost be, there's one bit where he goes into a pub, I think early on in the day, and I think I know which, the, which pub this is, <laughs> not because I go to a lot of pubs early in the day, but, um, and it was the same with the cutting room, a little bit less obviously with Tamburlaine, but the real clear sense of place, is that something that you are aware that you can, you've got down pat, or is it something you work on, or is it actually you think, this is the place I'm going to write about? Yeah, I guess I see it, I see it quite clearly in my my mind's eye. I, I, I can see it very, very clearly. Um, and then you, you work on it. Yeah. yeah and you, you work on it a lot and play around with it. And I guess um, <clears throat> increasingly what I'm thinking about is how much space do you have to need leave for the reader? And I mm -hmm. think actually um, that's, that's something that I have to be aware of as well, that yeah. the reader needs that space to invest their imagination and, and see their place, their particular yeah. location as well. I mean, you talk about writing the role of the conjurer or, or writing a, a sex scene, I suppose that's the same. You need to leave a little bit of space for the, the reader to say, I don't want to know it all. I don't yeah. want to know the whole trick yeah, in both exactly. senses. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of, you know, you know, understand that something is happening, but I, don't, I, I can make my own leap of imagination. Absolutely, and I guess in a way... Um, Oh, the Conjuring is, is a great kind of, I don't know, metaphor, isn't it, mm. for any kind of creation. Yeah. We, we have to, we know from about the age of five, or maybe even earlier, that, that a Conjuring trick is not really magic. Mm. And yet, I love watching these things. Yeah. I, I, and I can't work out how they do it. Um, and maybe any kind of act of artistic creation is a wee bit, a wee bit like mm. that. We have to buy in in order yeah. to go with it. And it's the the writer's uh, job to keep you there and not to mm -hmm. let you down and not to, to break that world yeah, yeah. Uh, to somehow, somehow yeah. maintain it. Um, I suppose how much you do it depends on how much, that, you know, it will be changed from every individual. I'm thinking about, I went to see years ago, went to see a hypnotist show at the mm. pavilion or whatever, and just thinking, going, this is rubbish. <laughs> but people were getting up on stage and pretending to be dogs and all this. You think, well... Wait, why? There's a, there's, it just shows you the difference between every person that it you know. is, yeah. And I guess William's act isn't really like that. No, but, it's not. Um, but, uh, but there's still, you know, with these these hypnotists, these sort of mesmerists, there have been court cases where people have, um, no, you know, the, the, mm. the hypnotist will get the somebody on stage from the audience and they say, forget the number nine. And years later, this person can still no longer remember the number nine. But it, it, it does yeah. it does work in some way. Oh, um, no, I, I, I'm sure it does. But I think what's interesting is that for some people, it will never work because you always go, well, I'm just not going to buy Exactly. It. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go yeah. for that. I'm, I'm not a good subject. Yeah. Um, you see that with Darren Brown. He'll, mm. he'll uh, have a, a group and reject the people that are not good subjects. Mm -hmm. And I guess... I would like to think I wouldn't be easily manipulated. Yes. Maybe we are all at the moment being manipulated. Maybe actually, <laughs> that's right. 
<laughs> there's there's a wee hypnotist outside the door. Um, now I I really enjoyed writing that book, and I guess in some ways it's um it's a reworking of a, a film that I'm really really fond of, um, Pandora's Box, um, right. a, a silent movie from the twenties, um, directed by W. B. Pabst, um, and starring Louise Brooks. Mm. And in it we have a woman who is very um, alive, really, and very sexually alive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the first movies, if not the first movie, perhaps, that shows a lesbian scene right. in it. Um, and so she goes with women, she goes with men, and in the end, of course, we, we enjoy watching this very much, <laughs> and then in the end she goes to London where she gets murdered by Jack the Ripper. And this is this is the necessary ending to this movie because it's the moral... You know, the punishment. The, yeah, everything's put... So I guess, um, in a way, I wanted to... I was playing with that as yeah. well, you know, what happens in the end. I think that's interesting in terms of the talk, because I think all your books, there's a noir, obviously a noir feel, but I can imagine almost all of them being... When I, when I say I read them in black and white, that's I don't mean, you know, it, it's just one thing or the other. There is this kind of real dark, you know, slightly sepia around the edges feel about all, all, all your books. Um... Bring me on to naming naming the bones. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Set we are uh, recording this in Glasgow University and set in and around here. Yeah, it begins it begins um, at the National Library in Edinburgh and yep. very very quickly moves to Glasgow. Um, where again <laughs> he has um, Congress with his head of department's <laughs> wife on a desk. <laughs> no, I have to say, having not, spent many ten years. <laughs> Uh, were, were you worried that anyone would go? I think that such and such. You know, again, I'm afraid I was. Uh, the, the, the thought amused me, but but, um, <laughs> but no, because of course it is. No. It is entirely made up. I and, know. Yeah, um, and you hope, okay, you hope in a literature department or whatever that people people will get that. Yeah. Um, but I guess, <laughs> I guess in a way, it's a changing world that mm. um, that Murray Watson, the central character that is in this book, you know, the universities are changing very, very much and yeah, Murray's right. on the cusp of that change mm. as well. Um, and uh, there's a, a pub scene in that. I'm, I'm phasing the pub scenes out, but there's a, <laughs> there's a pub scene in that where um, he's with all of the, the old soaks That's from right. the department. And you think, you know, that, that culture is, is probably disappearing and, mm. you know, there's... Um, should we regret it or not? Oh, there's there's a part of me that is nostalgic for yeah. that, but actually you'll have seen it as well. There's mm. a lot of misery in in that as yes, well. Of you know, a lot of, um, so I guess there's trying to yeah. trying to to do. There's a, a kind of mis- a romantic idea that you know literary professors all are in the pub by three o'clock and are mm. discussing Joyce, and but as you say, then people have got to go home, and it's maybe not such it's so not so romantic nice. after yeah. all. Um, and for the most part, as you know, you know they're going home and doing fifty-five million emails. Yeah, well, now these days, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, definitely changing. But there is there is a writing group who you look at, and I'm wondering how much of that was kind of the Kelman Gray Lockhead. Oh, very, idea. very much inspired by that. Very, yeah. very much inspired by that. Um, not that group, and not um, Professor Hobsbawm at yeah. all. But really, I guess prompted by the concept of mm-hmm. that and I guess the group um, that I touch on is in a way the negative of that because mm-hmm. it, it strikes it's always struck me that the Professor Hobsbawm's group um, which included 
Brendan McLaverty, mm-hmm. Liz Lockhead, um, when he was in Dublin, Seamus Heaney, mm-hmm. um, James Kelman, um, lots of you know really writers, Alistair Gray, of course. Tom Leonard as well. Tom Leonard, yeah, that, that, that's a supportive yeah. group, you yeah. know, one that... Um, that I think persists and created strong bonds. And which still are, you know, exists today. Absolutely. I mean, these, these people are very supportive of one another. And supportive of other writers uh, yeah, as well, yeah. which is a, a, a great example, I guess, to, to my generation that, you know, you, you can support other people. So I think um, the concept of a university group was, yeah, I think perhaps prompted partly by that, partly by my own experience as well of... Mm-hmm. of um, being at university and uh, in creative writing classes or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but it's not the same group. It's more no. more toxic than that. Definitely and I more guess toxic. Yeah, and I guess um, <laughs> that also is part of fiction as well, yeah. isn't it? That um, there needs to be these tension. There yes. needs to be these things that we have to get over. Um, as a book, I mean, hopefully it's a a rip roaring thriller, um, but it's also, I guess, concerned with the idea of the romantic artist mm. and that romance yeah. of the the academic that we mentioned, I guess, is mirrored in the idea of the romantic poet who dies young, which is a, yeah. a model um, which, you know, in your teens, you just think, oh, how, how wonderful, how wonderful yes. to, to be a poet and drown. That would just be terrific. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you get a wee bit older and you think, oh, there's no coming back from that, is there? <laughs> um, and I guess you work, you know, I'm... I, I, um, part of my, my practice for, for quite a few years now has always been to work with other writers who are younger in their career and you can see people buying into that idea of the yeah, romantic artist and it's not it, yeah and I guess that book is maybe thinking of you bit about that the yeah. dangers of that I was listening recently to oh it was an interview with someone who'd been head of a big uh, music uh publishers and saying that the people that you really wanted were the people who said who were completely fo- they didn't want this romantic ideal they knew they were focused that you had to do the work I think sometimes with writers it might seem that uh, they are doing this you know having living this romantic life but in actuality the ones that do well are the ones who are prepared to sit and do the hours yeah. and, and, and you know that's perhaps not what we want to hear and it's the same with academics as well it's true isn't <laughs> it and Stevenson writes about that as yeah. well you know just um, sitting at the desk that's the worst yeah. part and it, yeah it really is <laughs> there's a I think there's a quote at the beginning from George Mackay Brown mm-hmm. um, one of my favourite writers uh, and and the the action goes to the to the islands and why did you decide to do that was there you you based the, the characters on the, the Hobbeswam group albeit differently but what was the kind of um spark to do to take the action there and to have this whole looking back at this artistic community which i think did exist and i think Mackay Brown might even have been part of it okay um i guess I think that that poem is a really beautiful poem, just you know about somebody who dies young. Yeah. Again, um, it's a really, really lovely poem. Um, I guess this is something that maybe happens. Oh, I just repeat myself actually over and over again. Mm. I think this idea of taking somebody out of the the place where they feel comfortable and putting them somewhere where they don't they don't quite know how it works, mm-hmm. even though it's not. Um, it's not as alien, perhaps, as going to Japan, mm. or, you know, or it's not an alien culture as such, and yet... It's very different from Edinburgh and Glasgow. It's very, very, yeah. very different. And uh, 
Lismore, of course, is an island that isn't terribly far from Glasgow mm. geographically. It's very easy to get off of as well. You know, it's not it's not difficult by any means. And I guess I want um, I wanted Murray to have the illusion that he is stuck. He has the mm. illusion that he cannot get away. Yeah. And yet, actually, if it, he could, he could extricate himself. And to an extent, he's choosing to go down That's this interesting. path. That's interesting. That horror thing of you think you're watching a horror movie and you think you can get away from this if you want, yeah. but they tend not to, and that builds up the tension of it. I guess, and I guess it's partly about obsession as well, which is maybe where mm. the the academic um, aspect comes in too, because. Yeah. One has, you know, you you might be researching something that very few people know about, um, yeah. and you have to be, you have to have an, an element of obsession, I think, in order uh, to do that. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm just thinking, yeah. you know, of, of some of the people I know who become almost, you know, obsessed with their their subjects, and uh, and and whenever, whenever conversation you have, they will bring in. If there was Mackay Brown, it would be Mackay Brown or McDermott or whoever. You see, I find that attractive. Yeah. I think there's something. So, uh, yeah. I think it's something very attractive about that. And uh, I, I guess I saw. I was very aware of it when I was a young bookseller and I had my second-hand bookshop. Um, I wasn't apprenticed to anybody. You know, it was very much self-taught and taught by your customers mm-hmm. and taught by people that were obsessed with a particular writer or publisher or mm-hmm. illustrator. Or train, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was a, it was a gift. It was a present. Mm. You know that that people would come and tell you all mm. of this information that had taken them years to find out. Mm-hmm. And if you only listened, you could you could learn a lot. And so I do I do find it attractive, really. For people to care so much about something, you know, sometimes yeah. people don't have that, which is a shame. And I think that's what drives naming the bones. Is this. You know, he, he. It's not because he thinks, well, I'm going to research the person that's going to make me worldly famous. He is just absolutely obsessed with finding out all he can, and it takes him down places where he, he then realizes he shouldn't go. Yeah, and I guess also, um, on the other aspect, a lot of the the things that would normally support him, which is you know, love, friendship, and family, um, have gone, mm-hmm. and part some of that's his own fault, and um, some of it's unavoidable. But, all of, all of the central characters in the novels are loners in a way. I mean, there's they're not. They do one of the reasons that they follow the path that they do is because, as you say, they do, they're not going home to a comfortable lifestyle at night. Um, is that because you think they're the more interesting characters? Or I suppose they are. Even talking about it now, I'm realizing, yeah, who would want to write about someone who goes home at night? But um, it's very noticeable, I think, in the fiction that you've got these people. I, I guess so, and maybe maybe partly that is um, a nod to genre as well. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that is the the lonely person that walks alone. Um, maybe that's part of the genre aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I guess, um, the girl on the stairs yeah. is, uh, as you say, the first book with a female protagonist. The first book in a I hesitate to say bourgeois setting, but actually the flat that they're in. Is a comfortable mm-hmm. flat. Um, they're in a. Jane is in a, a solid relationship, yeah, and she's pregnant. It's all quite quite different in that aspect, and yet, of course, um, she's isolated. Yes. The periods yeah. when she's on her own, mm-hmm. um, and maybe that's it. We just there are times when you you just have to stand up. You yeah. have to. St- no one can go there for you. No, you I was thinking back to, to Rosemary's Baby, where you know she, apparently she is the young, happily married uh, mm-hmm. wife, and yet. John Cassavetes is away most of the time and they, all these strange neighbours come and affect her life. Um, 
really looking forward to reading it to see, especially since you see your in, the influences of Polanski. Um, just want to talk a little bit about your influences, um, you know, who who has kind of pushed you to write. Gosh, it's, I think um, before we started recording, we were talking about um, books we read in childhood, mm-hmm. and I think I think always being given that gift of reading, that gift of the library, yes. you know, that oh, being able gosh. to go to the library, having parents that would get books from mm. the library or encourage you to read. Oh, you must read that. Um, I had an adult ticket at a very early age. Mm. I could read whatever I wanted. Um, all of those things, I think. Um, st- every Scottish writer will say Stevenson, and it's yes. it's true for me as well. Yeah. Um, I very much remember being read Treasure Island, um, the Black Spot. <laughs> exactly. And, yes. and my dad shutting the book at that kind of, right bedtime. And you think, oh no. no way, no, not bedtime now. Um, yeah, that. And it's interesting. You, you you said earlier that you remembered particular, not just the story, but the particular book. Mm. And I was reading a. Uh, interview with Umberto Eco yesterday and who was saying, you know, that he bought an iPad and he mm. had a, a Kindle and things and how brilliant they were for travelling and he said, and yet you go back and you want to read not just um, Treasure Island, mm. but your Treasure Island. <laughs> I have got a copy of The Hobbit, which my dad used to read to me, which is falling apart. I mean, the pages are coming out, but I wouldn't think of going and buying a brand new edition. I would go back and still go through because this is the one. That's that the I'm one. Remember. That's the one. And I think... Um, I think I definitely had that with library books. Mm. I think this is something that children do. You go back and you take out the same I library think you're book. Right. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you, yes, it was, this is my favourite book. And I think as you go older, you go, well, I've read that, therefore I, I've got so much more to read. But when you're younger, you don't think about that. You're quite happy to read something ten times over because it's your favourite book. Yeah, and uh, particular pictures, you know, and all of that. So I'm, I think that I, I really, I think in Scotland we're, we're, we're not doing so well, so badly rather, touch wood with the libraries. I think we're in a much better position than they are in, in England yeah. over that. And when you meet library staff, we're extremely fortunate in the library staff that we have. Um, so I just, I hope that that manages to keep yeah. on going. I think you're right. There's a lot, I mean, when I go out to various readings of people and things, I often bump into folk who work in the libraries and it's not just a job to them, it's absolutely, you know, it's, it's something that they love and they try and find out who the new writers are or they, they're out there actually spreading the word and it's, just, it's, it's great to know that that's the case because that's what I remember is going as a youngster and saying, oh, if you like that, mm. then I think you might quite like this and actually giving you understanding, even as a child, that, you know, you're not just taking a book out, you're this is something that you're you're going to remember for the rest of your life. It's interesting because I remember librarians as being this kind of gauntlet that you had to run. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I was lucky. Maybe I had a very friendly librarian. And they would do things like um, serve the adults first. You'd be in the queue and they'd serve the adults I first. I was probably with my think, dad at the time. <laughs> that's not fair. No. And uh, yeah, sometimes they'd say, are you allowed this book? And you'd say, yeah, I've got an adult ticket. But yeah, it, it, <laughs> I remember as a child, and this, this shames me because... Um, I've got a lot of friends now that are librarians, but I remember thinking, I'm never going to be a librarian. None of them look happy. (laughs) 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 They always looked really fierce. I I was well lucky, I think, because I remember taking out Asterix books and I was like, you don't don't want, here's something proper to read, actually. Uh, And if Asterix is good. Oh, Asterix is great, absolutely, (laughs) yeah, yeah. In fact, at school, you couldn't get them straight off the shelf. You had to get over, they were under the counter because people were taking them. (laughs) It's like, no, you should be studying. I've done my study and can I have an asterisk book, please? Yes, there you go. Only in French. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. 
So, um, which other writers at the moment do you enjoy reading? Oh, well, I've just I've just read a brilliant book, um, The Brothers Sisters by Patrick DeWitt, which I get, uh, I think it was shortlisted for the Booker or something. Oh, right. Um, I didn't know that when I picked it up. And it wouldn't have put me off. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes these things do. Uh, yeah, yeah, which is uh, just, a, a, in terms of voice, very, very, very immediate in your ear voice mm. um made me think a little bit of the coen brothers oh, it's about okay. a, a it's a cowboy book um which i don't normally read either yeah. um and uh, yeah it's, it's it's great it's about i guess morality in a way it's patrick about, dewitt and dewitt oh, is a ca- canadian writer oh, okay. um i think yeah i think i picked it up because of the cover i think oh. that was it it's as shallow as that <laughs> um and it was just brilliant i read it whizzed through it and um thought that it would be a book that I would pass on again to young people, mm-hmm. you know, especially the sort of teenage boys that that are going through that phase where perhaps they're not reading as much as yeah. they are. And I, th- I thought this had a really strong narrative, really strong oh, characterization, and um, a lot of moral questions in it. Okay. Um, any other Scottish writers that you uh, particularly... I hate them all. You hate, hate them, them all. all. <laughs> That's the support that we were talking about earlier on. <laughs> Old Hobsbawm is dead, everyone. <laughs> um, it's funny, I just met Denise Mina coming up the road okay. and I, 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 really, um, I really admire Denise's mm-hmm. books. Um, and we were talking we were talking about Jackie Kay and saying yeah. how much um, we're having a how joke. How much we hate her. <laughs> how, yeah, just how, <laughs> how bad tempered she is. She's uh, just really admire her work mm. um, and I'm very interested in this kind of I guess a lot of people are this um, swathe of memoirs that are coming out from Scottish writers at the moment yeah. um, Janice Galloway's uh, and John Burnside's as well mm-hmm. which you th- and, and Jackie Kay's of course which you think each of these memoirs is different mm-hmm. each of them is really interesting yeah. um, at points brave and, and just sort of showing this very different aspect each of them of, of Scotland or, or or just what it is to be human I guess yeah. in a way um, the only one I've read is, is the first Janice Galloway one and it's, a, it's an amazing read um, do you think that was this is something that is just a coincidence or publishers are saying yeah memoirs at the moment they are good you know I have no idea I have absolutely no idea and I, to, to me they all have um, a core of authenticity mm. to them I think um both Janice's books um, and and Jackie's are brilliant. I think for me, John's is extremely interesting, um, especially the the first one, uh, "A Lie About My Father." Yes. In terms of this exploration of Scottish masculinity, um, and the second one, which title eludes me, which I thought was just fascinating, really, mm-hmm. really fascinating, yeah. really well written. So I guess I guess I don't know um, mm-hmm. if they are prompted by publishers. I think they were a pretty good suggestion. Good suggestions, yeah. 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 I just it it's, it always interests me when these things come out. You know, a clump's the wrong word, but you know, one after the other. And you I think, know well, it something, is, isn't it? Or is it know, just oh. that people are hitting a particular age? Exactly. Or um, yeah. is this a point when we are reflecting mm-hmm. more on? I, I don't. I mean, I, I don't think any of these books are about what it is to be Scottish. No, I don't think, I think they are. They're just and I think that to be by Scottish actually people. makes it interesting in itself because previously maybe that's what it would be. Someone would say, well, what's it like to be a Scottish writer? Actually, it's just what's it like to be you. To be you. Uh-huh. Ah, that's the interesting part of it. Yeah. And I guess um, the other thing I'm reading 
a fair bit about just now um, is uh, slavery, Scotland's connection, or Glasgow yeah. in particular's connection with slavery, um, for a sound piece that I'm collaborating on with okay. um, Jude Barber of Collective Architecture. So that's something that we hope will four or five sound pieces around the Merchant City, which we hope will come out oh, okay. next April, May. Um, I know, I know, it's, it's really, really interesting. And I guess the complexity of our relationship with slavery, and you know, I don't know if we'll get independence or not. I, I don't know if it's a good idea or not. Um, but I think if we do, one of the good things would maybe be that we, we then face up to what we've done and not say we were... Uh, it wasn't us. It wasn't us, it wasn't me. <laughs> but, a big boy made me do it. Yeah, but um, it's the title of one of the, the, the books that, that I'm reading by, oh gosh. So it was a really good thin book. And I, I've, I guess Tom Devine's latest yes. book about the Scottish nation as well. Um, That's what I was thinking, but both with the, the terms of these uh, biographies and what we're talking it, it seems to me that whether in, independence happens or not, the fact that there seems to be a... a, a, a willingness now to talk about whether it's your own background, whether it's the idea of Scottish masculinity and the problems that came along with that, mm. which again, we're all suppressed. You don't talk about these things. You bottle mm. it up. You bottle up emotion. You bottle up guilt. You bottle up the fact that, you know, in terms of colonialism, there was a lot of Scots right at the front. Um, and now people are saying, well, it, it's, it's much more relaxed, I think. So, you know, we're willing to talk about things. And it's not, again, because this is a Scottish point of view. It's just these individual stories which were never told. Mm-hmm. And I th- that is interesting to me, that these are now coming out and, um, and reaching a much wider audience. Because what happens from that is someone else goes, yeah, that was my experience. And then they go and share it. And mm-hmm. sharing's always a better thing to do, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Okay, and just the complexity of our history as yeah, well. The fact yeah. that, okay, we are... Um, we do have the Scottish Enlightenment here. It is a, a unique and amazing uh, thing. And then at the same time, we have slave islands where yes. we're completely um, treating people as if they're animals, mm-hmm. um, judging a life on on putting a price on life. Yes. And um, I guess James Robertson writes well about that. Yeah. In, um, and the land. Oh, and the, no, the J- oh, Joseph, Joseph Knight. Knight. Joseph Knight. Knight, yeah, which I think is um, is is interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a good example, I think, uh, of a writer who um, is is dealing with wider concerns in a Scottish context, uh, um, which perhaps previously either wouldn't have been heard or well, no one was willing to put them out there. Mm-hmm. Um, we usually finish up with kind of five questions which I should have told you about before <laughs> to give you a thing but they're very very simple and just treat them as you will okay first one is your favourite book oh gosh it's a hard one isn't it I know it? they're yeah, all like um, that <laughs> it, it's almost the, the last book that you read yeah. isn't it I've thought about this in terms of my desert island of course, of course. As, as, as all of us do that's the way to do it <laughs> um, I think it would be James Hogg's Justified oh, Sinner yes. I think it would be and I think the thing about that book is you get so many other books with it as well. Because it's so influential and it makes you think about um, Jekyll and Hyde and the other books like that. So I think you don't just get one book with Justified Sinner, you get lots of other books as well. We did a podcast um, coming up with the top five Scottish novels and the one that I knew everyone would certainly go for was that. And the tragedy for me is I'd never heard of it before I came to university when I was 29. Mm. 
I'd never heard about before I came to university. And that's just yeah, shocking. I don't think My I had either. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know? think I had either. So it's, it's funny. And these are people, as you say, that went to libraries and read books and yeah. all of these things. But it just an absolute... Um, work of genius and yet I don't think it's ever been out of print you know I think it's it's kind of yeah. easily available and yet yeah. it's not it's such a good title isn't it <laughs> it's great it's great it says so much still about uh, about not just Scotland but about the people that are uh, inhabiting it and it's very witty it's oh, it, yeah. it, you, you can still laugh out loud yeah. when you're reading it and so. if you were read it at the age of nine or you read it at the age of you know 49, you would get so many different things from it. You could read it as a real skate. And I can only imagine the people that read it when it first came out, you know, with the whole framing technique of, yes, I found this and this. Oh, it's terrifying. It's a great, great novel. There's, al- there's always been moves to make a movie of it, and yet people don't seem to be able to quite pin it down. Yes. And just as we're talking there and thinking, I wonder, you know, radio adaptation, I think. I think radio you could do a really good could radio do a adaptation. Great radio adaptation, absolutely right. Yeah, I think Ian Rankin's name's always kind of um, linked to it. I think that's right, um, but yeah, we'll see. The, well, it goes on from that. Favourite writer? Oh, goodness. Um, I guess I, see, it's easier to choose dead writers, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Because there's no competition. Yeah. Um, I think Stevenson's been with me since I was a child. Yeah. You know, he's one of the, mm. the first writers that are um, that I really responded to so I think I think he would definitely be in there and his life is so interesting and mm. um, when you say favorite writer there's lots of writers that you do really love but actually you wouldn't want to hang out with them <laughs> <laughs> Stevenson That's I do feel true. I do feel you'd have him round wouldn't you you'd yes. have him round for dinner you just want to go out for a drink with him you just I think, so right. I, I, think I, I really um I really do love him uh, Muriel Spark I was reading mm. Muriel, uh, Muriel Spark's memoir yesterday and just uh, thinking and it was a while since I'd, I'd picked up anything by her and just thinking again how good she is you know how hard how clean her prose yes. is um how how deceptively dark she is I mean, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, I read the the driver's seat recently again for the first time in ages and you go wow just incredible it really is and, and yet somebody who's you feel when you're reading it is quite uncompromising and yet there are many different shades yeah. within that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really, yeah, I do, I do like her. Um, gosh, I have to, th- have to think of somebody, somebody else as well. I don't know. I've <laughs> always loved William Burroughs. Always, uh-huh. um, I've been reading a lot of kind of situationist George Perec and things, which just make me laugh. And yet their, their, their work works. Mm-hmm. They're doing sort of mad things with the, in terms of structure and subject yeah. and words and all sorts of things, and yet it works. So maybe maybe some of those as well. Okay, and I think that's important. Often important when people really are, uh, are pushing the boundaries in terms of any art is that there's a sense of humour there. I think mm. when it's too poor faced, I think, well, I can see what you're trying to, do, but you're not. Whereas when it's a sense of humour, you go, yeah, I can I can go with this. It's that playfulness, isn't yes, it? And the, exactly. the playfulness has to. Um, is at is at the very start of everything, mm. and um, you know this. I enjoy this job very much. I mean, I, I'm sure you're the same. I've done some really manky jobs, and <laughs> and this is a good job to have as a, as a writer. But you know, it doesn't pay a lot. It's yeah. not great for your health. All of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have to. There has to be that fun, that yes. playfulness uh, at the very beginning. Yes, what's the point? Um, favorite film. 
Ooh, now that's a hard one, isn't mm -hmm. it? I'd yes. already mentioned um, the Pandora's box. Pandora's box. Uh, Which I can't wait that, to see, it sounds amazing. <laughs> it is, it's, it's great. Um, I am kind of into those silent movie films. Yeah, you know, I watch Nosferatu from time yeah, to time. F. Yeah, w. Yeah. Murnau, uh, and he actually made a Jekyll and Hyde movie that's lost oh, somewhere. Really? But you know, it might be out there yet. Okay. But um, so I, I am somebody that likes a lot of those early horror movies, um, or indeed modern horror movies. Though I find it increasingly hard to watch them because I get so frightened. <laughs> 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 really, really frightened. This Japanese and Korean thing. Oh, oh they're just yeah, too scary yeah, yeah. for me. Um, I, I, I like the Coen Brothers as well. Yes. I think they're they're master filmmakers. Um, I think the film of Morvan Keller is an extremely good film. I think that's um, by is it Lynn Ramsey? Lynn Ramsey yes. I think uh, I think in terms of it's adaptations a, yeah. from books, that might be one, one of, of my favourite. Um, I agree with you because it. There's hardly any dialogue in it, and of course, Morgan's like that in the in the novel. Um, it's a, it's a tremendous adaptation. I think very underrated as well, and visually incredible. Mm. It goes from this dark open scenery to the to the Ibiza scene, where it's you know you can almost feel the heat off the screen when they're walking. It's it's amazing. It adaptation. is amazing, and the acting is great yeah. in it as well. The yeah. acting is tremendous. Um, and I guess the the way that the narrative is put together, mm. I think, which is. I think it's a great adaptation in that it has the atmosphere of the book and yet it's not tried to reproduce the book. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. what, what a movie is not a book. Yeah, you know? that's right. That's... Have you seen We Need to Talk About Kevin? I haven't yet. No, I'm looking forward yes, to that. And... Again, I've not read the book, but you don't need to. And the book is the, very good, yeah. The Tilda Swinton, it's just amazing. She is fantastic. And in terms of actors, I guess she must she must really be up. You know, she's yeah. really up there, really, isn't she? She's great. Um, oh yeah, there's so, so many movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a music stroke band. Which is, what do you listen to when? Uh, do you listen to music while you're writing, or do you just have to? Uh... Only when I'm only when I'm sort of late in the day, and yeah. I, I tend to work nine till five. I tend to work daylight hours. Uh -huh. If I'm working late in the day, or if it's a really uh, dull day and you feel the night coming in, I think I play music to sort of punctuate that, and yes. it'll always be the the same. Kind of music. Um, it'll be some Debussy or some uh, some Sigur Ross. They're they're oh, quite good. Ross, so, yes. Yeah. So you 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 don't you almost don't hear it in a yeah. way, which I always think is how you know that must really be annoying to <laughs> to, to musicians, must it? <laughs> it's just in the background. Yeah. Um, I come from Scotland. I like both types of music. I like country and um, western. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just got um, oh god, is it Don McLean? The mm -hmm. new new album by him, which I think is is uh, really sad and beautiful. Mm. Really sort of. Um, yeah, but that is him, isn't it? Wichita Line Man. Am I getting the right? Uh, yes, that's yeah. right. Isn't it? Um, so yeah, it's it's. Uh, Yes, that that kind of thing. I guess. No, I Campbell. Know. Campbell, Glenn Campbell. Glenn there Campbell. we are. I've been doing it. Glenn Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. Who has? Who's um, ill? Yeah. He that's has a I kind saw. of dementia. Uh, um, and of course, Witch Line is just one of the greatest songs of all time. Mm, I think it's just an amazing mm -hmm. record. I guess I like the story songs mm, quite yeah. often. There's a, a song with a story in it. Um, so much yeah. maligned country and western music, but you know there's some. Oh, really but we know the truth. Don't exactly. We, <laughs> we do. So. Um, Yes, Alison Krauss, you know, mm. all of those, those things. Uh, a favourite programme, I guess, to, to listen to, um, I like Late Junction on yeah. Radio 3, and I think you, you find really good music through that. Yeah. And 
when I'm traveling, that's something that I would download and, and try and listen, listen to. to. And the final thing is something, we, we, we've talked about a live event, but whether it was a piece of theatre or was it a film that actually changed your, your perception of life, your, your perception of life, listen to me. <laughs> you know, you're right, this, is, this is changing the way I look at things. Oh, goodness. Um, these things often happen when you're, you're quite young, don't they? Yeah. Um, something that I saw not so long ago, maybe about 18 months or so ago, was um, the theatre production Kursk. Which is set right. in a, a submarine. Um, it's and it was shown at the tramways, and they made the very big space sort of into the inside of a submarine, and um, the the curse comes across the the Russian submarine that that uh, where the submariners are trapped. They're right. in a place that they're not meant to be. Um, it was a really really great piece of theatre and very immersive uh-huh. theatre. Um, Gosh, thing, things that change your life, that's really, really hard. I know it is. So you don't have to worry about <laughs> it. Maybe you should it. cut it off by that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe things where people die quite early on. You know, I mm-hmm. think um, in terms of storytelling, I think Psycho, where uh, yeah. Janet Lee dies very, very early, oh. and we think that we're watching one film. And we think we're we're watching a heist film. That's fascinating. And then suddenly yeah. the heist is not about a heist; it's about something else. It's not about her stealing this money. It's and, and she dies actually quite yes. soon after that. So I guess I, I really am fascinated by the films mm-hmm. of, of Hitchcock as well. Well, um, that's there's the it's the bravery, isn't it, of saying right here's. I, I believe a known star even at the, then we were going to stick at forefront and you, as you say it's a heist movie it's will she get away with doing this and then suddenly you go right this, this is something it's completely different somewhere I don't I don't expect it to ah, go um, yes which I guess yeah Quentin Tarantino tried to do in that um, vampire movie didn't he and it didn't he, it, that, it, that was almost like clubbing you around the head with yeah. the sign suddenly <laughs> it was a, a vampire movie in the bar but yeah well, I, I think that's the thing I, I do like Tarantino's films but he takes these um, influences and kind of you know shoves them in your face yeah, although I've got a soft spot for that film really um, yeah. what's it called Dustle Dawn? Dustle Dawn, yeah. That's, yeah. I, I think that's possibly the last film of his that I, I actually enjoyed. Uh-huh. Um, and again, it made me laugh. So yes. Maybe that's it, things that uh, make yeah. you... Yeah. And it, it is um, when you when you end up in this bar, it just becomes so crazy. Mm. And I guess points of points of view as well. I remember very much um, as a teenager, I guess, seeing the first Coen Brothers movie, Blood Simple, which yes. is a very short film. Ah, <laughs> oh, and to my embarrassment, I don't know if you remember. There's a scene where um, we're we're in one house and we're looking across a street or a courtyard, mm. and we can see somebody moving in a window. And uh, we're looking from the point of view of the gun, and the oh, gun yes. is trained on this person. And they switch out the light, and you get this <gasps> this feeling of relief. It's going to be okay. And then they switch the light back on again. <sighs> and, that, that, and I actually shouted out in the film theatre, "Switch the light off!" <laughs> I completely broke the tension. I don't know what age I was about fourteen or something. I was so in that moment. Yeah. So maybe things like that. Things like that, which yeah. you you completely lose yourself. I can understand that. I can see from from, from your books that, that there's that. You, you you want to get to the end, but you know that it's not going to be easy. It's going oh. to be quite a scary situation. It's always all right in the end. It's always all right. Everything's yeah. always all right You close the, the book and then you go make a cup of tea yeah. and put 
Put another log on the fire. Exactly. Put Psycho <laughs> in the, the DVD. <laughs> well, uh, these things always work best when I forget they've been recorded, and that's what's happened today. I've just oh, been chatting away to Louise. Oh, so uh, thank you very much oh, well, for that. Well, thank you. That was a very enjoyable morning, actually. Well, that great. was great. And um, thanks for listening when you do. Cheers.